Welcome to Shatter by Rockwall Automation Women in the Field. We're your hosts, Olivia Robertson and Corinne Pellish. Today, we explore how to become our true authentic self, both at work and within our personal lives. And action. Olivia, how are you? Doing well. Coming back from a great weekend. How about you? Oh, same. I mean, Monday blues are a thing just because you have to like, you know, get all your things in order and enter a long week, especially we just had a couple short weeks there, but Overall, no. no the July 4th weekend is always, it's like a teaser. It's like, hey, yes. this is great. Let's get used to summer like this. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, just kidding. Back to normal hours. Back to work. But I do love summer hours. So that's definitely a positive. You do have that going for us. So, so today we've got uh, Katrina Vargo with us. And I think we're, we're really going to be focusing on finding your authentic self and, and truly just like embracing your individuality and theme recently it seems it is it's gonna be a good being authentic at work and in your life in general so well let's bring her out hey katrina hi guys thanks for having me Woohoo! we're really excited to have you so quick little introduction for for folks that don't know katrina Uh, katrina is a pittsburgh native an entrepreneur regional marketing leader marathon runner and coupon queen She submitted to be on The Bachelorette when auditions were hosted in Cleveland. She's lived across the country and traveled the world. Katrina is an active gym goer, including boxing, so big shout out there. She's a skier and fisherwoman. She's gained the prestigious title of ambassador at Nordstrom Rack, which for those in the club know that it's called Nordy Rack. Uh, And she's an avid Starbucks fan. Uh, She's someone you can count on for a laugh or a shoulder to cry on. So Katrina, welcome to Shatter. Thank you. Okay, so first question. Can you tell us about your bachelorette audition? Let's break that down. Yeah, please allow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, That was a couple years ago now, but um, I grew up watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette with my mom from the very first season. My mom sat me down 20 years ago and said, we're going to watch this show. I bet it's going to be good. Oh, my gosh. And so we're big fans. And I always thought, well, when I'm older, like, I'm sure I'll at least – you know, put myself out there and audition. And then I finally reached a point in my life. I was like, why not? <laughs> so I had my Cleveland Rockwell friends film me running all around the city of Cleveland, um, acting out different scenes and answering different interview questions. And I submitted the tape. I never heard anything back, but I felt like at least I put that out into the universe. Yeah, and this opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. Put yeah. yourself out there. I love it. So you had to submit a tape and then what do you've gotten a call back? I guess, is that like the process? I, yeah, I think you would have gotten a call back and they would fly you out to LA, you know, they interview you, fly you out to LA and then go from there. But oh, in hindsight, I'm very glad that I didn't <laughs> move forward in that process. We can host a local, can it. we can host a local bachelorette yeah. in Pittsburgh, you know? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. That'd be yeah. great. So you also um, shared that you've run in a couple marathons. What what was the hardest part about training for those marathons and what did it really teach you about life? I think, you know, the, the time takes and the amount um, of moments you have when you're training that you're convincing yourself, like, maybe I won't be able to do this. And 
um, like getting that voice out of your head. Um, I remember going to bed the night before my first marathon, like sh- I was shaking. Like I had, I had, I was like, I bet I might fail. Like this yeah. might be a time where I actually fail. I don't know if I'll complete it. Um, and then you do your first one and you're like, wait a minute, if I can do this and if my, if the human body can get me through 26 miles, like I can, there's a lot of things, you know, that I can push my mind and, and my body to do. And I, love that. Um, I ran a, my second one with um, Nick Bouchard. He's our sales operations manager in the East region. And he taught me his uh, secret was we would wake up at, I think it was like three in the morning and we have to get up at like five to get to the race. So we get up at three in the morning, we have to eat two power bars and then we're allowed to go back to bed. And oh my gosh. Um, I just remember being so mad at him. Like when we were <laughs> eating those power bars, I was staring at, we're both in our pajamas, staring at each other, just like trying to force these power bars down so that you have that energy during the race. And I, I, every time I do these races, I'm like, never again, I'm never doing this again. And then the sign up email comes and you're like, all right, let, let's just <laughs> So do you oh continuously gosh. do the marathon still or yeah I, I was going to do it this year um, obviously yeah. it got, got canceled but yeah it's one of those like really strange addictions and I now know why people think runners are crazy because for some reason you just can't quit it mm-hmm. um, but at some point I, I think you know I need to stop doing this to my knees and maybe find a new hobby uh God. gone into biking lately. <laughs> but then again, <laughs> you see those like 90 year old women like running out there and being like, good for you. You are still, and they're like, they, they're running at a speed that seems like they're like 50 years old, but they're right. definitely older. And it's just like, all right, maybe it's not that bad for you if they can do it. So true. You're it can so be a right. So jumping a little bit more into your professional background, you are thought of as a thought leader in digital selling. So whether that's enabling the sales force to utilize digital technology or different platforms, social media platforms, or even leveraging data from those platforms and turning it into insights, how did you start this? Um, What did you do with the marketing teams to better align with some of our sales folks and the other goals of our frontline sellers? Yeah, I I think it's, digital selling and, and really thinking about how we sell differently started. Um, one, I guess we didn't really have a, a choice, right? It's, mm-hmm. At some point, especially you're seeing during COVID, like this is it, this is our right. time to shine as digital sellers. Um, if we go back to maybe like six years ago, when I think digital selling was becoming popular, we had early career account managers. Uh, I remember one of them was Jenna Miller. She came in, um, you know, with more modern and wanted to use technology and how she sold. And I remember I, even I was a little resistant. I was like, no, you need to learn to pick up the phone and cold call. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to use LinkedIn to message a customer. And she ended up finding a customer on LinkedIn um, that she didn't know. They connected, they ended up meeting. It led to a purchase order of like a training order for a customer we had never even met with. And I remember that moment being like, all right, maybe I should listen to her. Maybe I can learn from her. And when I joined marketing, I felt like this was something we needed to, you know, fight for. Mm-hmm. And, and Gina Ward, my, my, our leader, our marketing leader, she was all about like, let's try new things. And we've had a lot of awesome salespeople that have said like, yes, please teach me different ways to sell. Um, teach me how to stay efficient. I think mm-hmm. a lot of digital selling is about how do you maximize, you know, the, the Corins of the world that 
you know, Corinne can only be in so many places at once. So how can Corinne be in multiple places at once? That's how I like to think of digital selling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's a really interesting point about digital selling. Like you were saying, we're almost forced to shift now. Because if you think like buyers are now online constantly, I mean, think about just like personal buying, right? We're on Amazon, we're on Nordstromrack.com and we're, we already know what we want before we even go somewhere Mm -hmm. or order, like we already have an idea. So how are sellers just going to touch those buyers differently? Cause it needs to happen. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great Absolutely. Right. And, and using the digital platforms also makes it convenient for Mm -hmm. our, our customers to see us. And even when they're not thinking about us, we're like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Still here. (laughs) I guess you remember us. Yes. Great point. Just good to be present, even though you're not technically in front of them. Absolutely. This podcast episode is brought to you by Rockwell Automation, Plant PAX, a modern distributed control system solution. Plant PAX version 5.0 is introducing a state-of-the-art process controller, an embedded native process, process objects, and new cybersecurity capabilities. You can expect to see this latest release in September 2020. Look out for eight industry webinars focused on the new capabilities that exist to expand what's possible within the process automation world. Plant PX version 5.0, get ready for the next big version of plant-wide control. So Katrina, today you're the regional marketing leader for Rockwell Automation, but the story starts a long time before that. So we're going to go with you, I think, today on this journey of how you have navigated your early career and where you found yourself today. So through trial and error and through the ups and downs of, of where you've been over the past couple of years, um, just let's go through that. So you're from Pittsburgh, PA, born and raised. You mm-hmm. ended up studying industrial um, engineering at Penn State University. Did you always plan on studying engineering or what, what really drove that curiosity towards a, a STEM degree? I definitely didn't plan on being an engineer. In fact, I felt like I didn't want to be an engineer because of what little we knew about what engineering was. Looking back, Mm -hmm. I thought engineers built bridges. And back when, um, you know, that was like 13 years ago when I was finishing high school, Google and being able to like look up videos about engineering, that didn't really exist. So I remember I went to my math teacher and I said, I really love math. My mom was the one pushing me to look into engineering because my dad was an engineer. And I asked my math teacher, can you tell me what engineering is? And she was like, honestly, I, I don't feel I can like really explain, you know, much of that to you. I, I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah. And, um, I remember I went to the guidance counselor's office at my high school and I grabbed like the big book of majors and I started reading about like, what is engineering, which sounds so like antiquated now. And I, I read through all the engineering. And I was like, uh, electrical, ooh, I'm not sure. A computer, <laughs> ooh, I'm not sure. And then I got to industrial. And I was like, what is this? And it started with the word people. And it was all about industrial engineers help people and processes be more efficient. And they look for, for opportunities to um, improve something or make something better. And I remember thinking, whoa, this is an aspect of engineering that aligns with who I actually am. Yeah. And maybe I could go into engineering if I went into something like this. And I, uh, I love that it had you know, business components to it. So my mom was really like the main cheerleader um, telling me, you can do this. You aren't going to fail out of it. And even if you fail some exams, 
you're going to keep at it. You know, and she, she even told me, she's like, if you don't like it, you can always leave it. Okay. She, she's like, you're, you're never going to pressure you, but she did nudge me to say, you can believe in yourself and, and do this. So I have her to thank. That is so neat. Honestly, uh, I've never heard of the big book of majors, which is so cool. It's probably in a museum somewhere. <laughs> I'm pretty young. sure every college has one actually. I think. Yeah. But I love that that Industrial uh, engineering started with people. That's a really cool thing. And it truly does, right? I mean, it's all about people and processes and making things more efficient and driving, uh, you know, lean manufacturing, all of that. That's, that's really cool. I like that. Most of the time people are like, yeah, I just ended up in engineering somehow, some way. So that's a really neat answer. Right. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that, I don't know, I think Corinne, you also, um, your father's an engineer too, isn't he? My whole so family. I think it's really interesting how a lot of women that I know their parents or someone mm-hmm. very close to them were engineers and that really influenced mm-hmm. them also in that regard. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if that also had a big part of you kind of moving forward and choosing engineer engineering, but it's, yeah. it's also, it's incredible to see just how our families impact mm-hmm. some of those decisions we make in our career path too. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a neat legacy mm-hmm. to carry on. And I love when parents say you can you know, try this, but if you hate it, don't, don't feel like you're disappointing me. I think yeah. that's like yeah. the most important thing. No, that's awesome. I love it. Definitely is. So, so can you speak to a time when you felt you had lost yourself and when you found yourself and reclaimed your professional identity. I know that we are, the overall theme is talking about finding mm-hmm. your authentic self. Can, can you walk us through some situations where you felt that you were lacking this? Yeah. Um, I think there, there's that imposter syndrome a little bit when you're going through engineering and you're, and you're trying to figure out what you want to do. I lost myself many times, especially in my 20s and, and in college, but there's a couple of like, key times that stand out. I'd say one, when you're in your engineering courses and you're um, talking to your peers, I'm sure you guys can remember those people in engineering that were like, I have dreamed my whole life of being an aerospace rocket scientist engineer, and I know I'm going to work for Boeing, and I know I'm going to work on propulsion yes. systems. Yes. And I remember, I remember thinking... Yeah. Um, who are you people? And like, how do you know this? And why am I not as ambitious as you if I don't know what I want to do with my life? And so I think I spent a lot of time in college questioning, like, maybe I'm not meant for engineering because I don't have that level of of ideas of what I'm going to do. So I remember I worked in a factory in college and, um, I, I liked it. I, I remember mm-hmm. learning a ton. And I do remember enjoying just like getting to see things um, up close and um, get more hands-on experience. But the other aspect of that was the part I enjoyed the most about that internship with all the amazing people I met at that plant mm-hmm. and helping those people and helping using some of my projects to help them in their roles. Yeah. And that should have been a telltale sign that like, I probably wasn't meant to be in a factory. And yeah. I remember telling myself, I want to be a process engineer. I want to be in a factory every day. And that's because it's the only thing I knew. Right. right. And um, then I remember as, as the summer went on, I was being really worn down and saying to my mom, like, maybe this isn't for me. Like, what if I don't want to do this factory engineering type of work that most people in my major do, then what am I going to do? Yeah. 
and I was really having like an identity crisis. Um, and I, when I went back to school, I kept seeing this company called Rockwell at all the career fairs. I had met them for years. I, I, I had met uh, Leanne Ben and, and different people at the career fair over years. And they would always say, what about, what about sales? And I remember I would shoot it down to like sales. That doesn't sound, that sounds really salesy. <laughs> why, right. why would I do that? And my senior year, I finally went back to Rockwell at the career fair and, and at some networking events and said, can we talk a little, a little more in depth now about what this really is? Because I worked in a factory and I loved working with the people and I loved helping the people. And it sounds like maybe that's what sales is. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, Steph DeGarry, and there were, there was a lot of people at that time that like really helped me understand, yeah, this isn't just sales. This is helping people. This is helping customers. And something that really stood out to me is, you know, if you, if you come and, and, and be a part of, um, Rockwell and this kind of this manufacturing journey, there's going to be so many experiences um, needed in, in manufacturing, whether you stay in sales or maybe mm-hmm. you'll go into marketing someday. I remember them right. telling me that in the interview and I remember thinking of marketing, that sounds cool. So yeah, it's, I lost myself, I guess, many times during uh, that exploration, but I, I, you know, eventually found, found a good track that I has think- really worked. I think that's so common too, right? We expect um, college age students to, like you were saying initially, Katrina, like some people do know what they want to do. Some people have no clue and that Mm -hmm. is equally as like acceptable. But something that's really important is with an engineering degree, your options are very open. Like if you want to go back to school, you can go back to school. You want to go to a factory, go to a factory. You want to work in sales, sales, marketing, marketing. Like your options are just, it opens so many doors, which is, I think like the thing that I want kids mm-hmm. to latch on to is get the degree. It's hard, but it teaches you mm-hmm. to persevere trial and error. You'll, you'll keep going if it's, if you're a driven individual. And I, I think that's a really important yeah. quality in life. So. so true. That foundation, I think yeah. we all had that experience where that, that foundation has led us down so many random, but great paths. And um, it, it, it's funny to look back I graduated nine, yeah, nine years ago and from, from college and all, I had so many engineering friends who were so adamant about, I'm going to join this company and this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it for life. And almost none of my friends are doing wow. what they started out doing, you know, and it actually a lot of my friends moved into business roles mm-hmm. and leadership and um, finance and HR and things that, um, you wouldn't think an engineer would do, but like you said, Corinne, that's the beauty of it. Is yeah. it doesn't end, it doesn't end where it begins. Right. No, that's I love it. So, like you said, you graduated. Woohoo! Big book. Yeah. Woo! And and you landed thankfully to Rockwell being present at the career fair and great conversations and people being open to that more people centric idea of engineering. And you were accepted in the to the sales training program. Where did you land post? sales training program? Yeah, I got placed in um, San Francisco, which was a dream of mine to move out West. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and as beautiful as Pennsylvania is, I had, I felt in my heart, I had to get out West to some different landscape and just be a different part of the world. And I remember a lot of people in Rockwell, I was very nervous to like make the leap. 
And a lot yeah. of people in Rockwell said, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. Just, just so true, rip though. the bandaid off. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yes. so many of my college friends, they moved back to um, like New York city and in a lot of amazing places like on the East coast. And uh, I felt like the odd man out going out West at the time, but um, I was out there for like three and a half years and living out West was, yeah. I mean, as you know, it's just the best. And I felt like I got that out of my system and just had some really amazing adventures out there. That's awesome. Yeah. And what a fun city too, San Francisco. Did you live downtown as well, or did you live outside the city? I lived outside the city, but um, I felt like in sales, you know, you get to travel all over um, mm-hmm. the state of California. So I felt like I truly saw every like, nook and you know c- corner or whatever it is of of California that you could see. And I just remember I'd be on a random drive to a customer, and all of a sudden this like beautiful mountain would like, come out of nowhere, some some lake in the middle of nowhere. I remember thinking like, how lucky am I that I get to explore this entire territory? And um, every weekend was different. You know, you'd spend one weekend in Napa or then you're in Big Sur driving the coast or you're um, out at Lake Tahoe skiing, uh, you're at the beach surfing. Like it, it truly was every, every way you could drive was a different experience, which was cool. Yeah. I can definitely understand why people love California with all those different, you can literally do something different every day. I think I saw somewhere once yeah. that it was like, yeah, one person went surfing, went to the mountains and went to the, I don't know, a lake all in one day or something like that. It's just like, California must be great. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So much to offer. So, but during, during your time in California, you were a true frontline seller, right? Account manager Mm -hmm. calling Mm -hmm. on a variety of, of end users as we call them in this space. Um, That's a lot to absorb. How, how did you do this transition between, you know, college textbooks, studying, to understanding those mm-hmm. real world customer problems. And what were your biggest challenges as you kind of cross that divide into student, into, you know, young professional? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, I always think about when you're in college, success means you study hard for the exam. And if you study hard, you get the A mm-hmm. or whatever. And, um, it was a slap in the face to come to the real world and realize that is not how the real world works. And yes, working hard is a component in the real world, but there's things like having the right network, having Mm -hmm. the right mentors, um, being humble and being able to admit when you don't know things or being comfortable with failure. Those were all lessons that took me a a while to, to realize, um, that you couldn't just do it on your own. And I see it a lot with, you know, our, our new hires or our interns or whoever, they kind of come in and they say, well, if I just study um, about manufacturing and, and, and what it entails, then I'll, I'll be an expert, right? And I think we all know now, being here in a few years, it's, it's more about, yes, you can study a little bit, but you gotta get out there and fail mm, a little bit to, right. to truly learn. Right. Um, so it was, it took, it did, it took me a while to accept that it almost felt like my, my college existence was a little shattered because mm-hmm. the way you're taught in college is just so, so it's a process and it, it, the process works. And in the real world, I realized like, no, you're, you're going to fall on your face a lot, especially those first few years. And you're going to feel kind of 
like you don't know what you're talking about for the first few years. And that's not a comfortable feeling for confident college students. And especially college students that are so used to like knowing their stuff. And like most Mm -hmm. of us being like very math and science apt, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. we're the ones that were used to getting those A's in classes and, and knowing the answers and really kind of breezing through our, our previous life of academia. (laughs) Right. It's those first few internships too that really help mold you, right? Mm-hmm. help you understand what you like and what you don't like. So Right. Well, and even just understanding some of like the language of manufacturing, I feel like it's, it's a very, you know, you learn the academic piece of it and then you jump into the professional world, specifically in Rockwell. It's like, how many acronyms are there? Like what a way to make someone question their smarts is throw 18 acronyms at them. And then you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Why did I think I could do this job? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I always try to remind whenever I meet with our new hires, like one of the first things I always say to them is stop beating yourself up because yes. I bet you're going home and beating yourself up like I did. I did it yes. for years. And you will wake up one day and turn a corner where you're like, I kind of know what I'm talking about more right. than I did, you know, before. And um, I, I just emphasize with them so much because yes. it's so hard. <laughs> it is so difficult. And then I even feel like I look back and I'm like, I feel like I still don't know much, but how did I not know anything? Like, it's like, okay, I've been four years in this, this career and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know I have some foundation, but there's still, I go on, out on calls, talk to customers and I'm like, I don't know what you just said to me. <laughs> like, is that, mm-hmm. what product is that? What is that controlling? Is that legacy? Is that new? Like, it's just, there's so much to learn. Yeah. yeah. And think, think about when, when you were, a student, I remember picking up the phone was my nightmare. I didn't want to call anybody. I wanted to be able to like Google it if I needed an answer or you know, maybe text a friend or something. But to come into the working world and realize you have to want to pick up the phone and build mm. relationships with people, especially in this virtual world that we're in and kind of that like value of mentors. I really didn't understand, I think, what a, what a true mentor was and how much you could learn from just like latching on to some of these amazing senior people that exist in manufacturing. And um, yeah, I, I wish I would have done more of that early on. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think that helped make you more empathetic to that next generation. Like you were speaking, you, you speak to the new hires, to the interns and say, Hey, you're not alone with what you're feeling. You're completely validated in feeling like you're in a brand new world. And I mean, I think mm-hmm. that experience has truly enabled you to then help mentor that next, those next, you know, leaders yeah. of the company. For sure. So overall, what was your biggest, greatest, whatever adjective you want to learn or use uh, lesson learned during your time in San Francisco? And how did that eventually shape how you bring yourself to work? I think my biggest lesson learned during that time, um, and that was my early 20s, was how to take care of my mental health. Mm. And, you know, you're in a new place. You're away from family. You don't have all the friendships or support system. And I remember having this attitude of like, I can do it all on my own. I can, yeah. I can face everything on my own and I don't need help from anybody. And um, you just kind of push yourself to a limit of like, why am I trying to do all this on my own? Why aren't mm-hmm. I telling people that that, you know, back to that mentoring thing, why aren't I telling people that I I need help or that I need more people interaction or, um, you know, that you need to like take better care of yourself. So when I look 
that's a great question because when I really look back on that period and just being so removed from my comfort zone, I think about how much I had to learn about like just taking care of myself Mm -hmm. and um, reaching out and and not being embarrassed to ask people for help or, or even just their companionship. I remember I would call my coworkers and I'd be like, I am lonely. I don't have a lot of friends here. Like would anyone hang out with me? And they, they would seriously open up their homes. They'd be like, come over and have dinner with our entire family tonight. Like you are always welcome here. And that was such an important lesson to learn. Just ask for help. Like you don't have to do it on your own. That's really great advice. Cause that, that is where, you know, we're taught to, you'll be fine. Like just, you know, you got to buck up and do it. And no, like the only way you really should get through this life is to be with each other, to hang out, to build these, you know, additional Mm -hmm. families. So I I love that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So after San Francisco, you did end up accepting a marketing role in Cleveland, which meant you were moving across the country again. Did you have a support structure already built out in Cleveland or how did you navigate these unknown waters? Why did you pick Cleveland also? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I reached a point where I had had so much fun in California. I had learned so much being in sales and being around customers. Um, but there was part of my brain that was like really craving creativity. Mm-hmm. And I knew like marketing could be something really good. And I also knew that, um, you know, we have, we have a lot of locations in Cleveland and that would be a little bit closer to my family and, and support systems. And, um, I remember calling mentors that I had met through, um, like women in the field type yeah. of activities. So like Le- Leanne Ben, Steph DeGary, Gina Ward, these were people I didn't really know either, <laughs> but I called them and just was honest and said, look, I, I, um, I've reached a point, like I'm looking for this change and, um, can you help me get networked or can you, can you help teach me about what marketing is or mm-hmm. do you know people in marketing that I could talk to? And the three of them helped me so much to like navigate that. I mean, they didn't know me at all and they just took me under their wing. And uh, I really look back and, and I couldn't have done it without all of their help. And um, yeah. And then once I got to Cleveland, I, I had very low expectations for Cleveland, but I, ended up loving it. I lived there for four years and I still think about moving back. That's how much I, I love, oh, I love that. There. So it, it worked out. And, and I, I guess I learned the lesson too of can be in the most beautiful place in the world. But if you don't have that support system, mm-hmm. um, you know, keep you going, like, what does it really matter? And after a few years of, of doing that, I, it just hit me that I can live in Cleveland, which people think is like one of the worst, whatever, <laughs> cities false or whatever. But I, yeah, false fake news. I had even more adventures in Cleveland because I had a support system even yeah. nearby. Um, so it all worked out. Oh, I love that. And I love your early shout out to Rock Automation Women in the Field because that is just a true support network that we've been able to build at Rockwell for women feeling alone mm-hmm. in field yeah. offices because- all too often, mm-hmm. that's that's why we lose great talent, you know, is, hey, I don't know anyone, mm-hmm. or I was placed in this office, and I'm really struggling. So, right. you know, just the beauty yeah. of, of having these connections across the nation, to be able to reach out to and have some type of connection or say, hey, hey, I'm struggling, you know, like, this kid right here is not doing great. So um, how did you overcome this? And, and just being able to build those networks. But so thanks for the shout yeah. out. So from being frontline seller, you accepted this field marketing role, how did you leverage that 
sales experience and working day in and day out with customers in understanding their problems. How did you leverage that to then navigate your new marketing role? I think I had a vision of what it was going to be like, and it was totally different. But like you said, it, it was really just trying to stay empathetic with the salespeople that I think eventually led to our success of making like a marketing group within sales work. And I remember being in sales and I'd get certain things from marketing um, that were you know, there to help me with some of my customer pursuits. And I would stare at these um, things from marketing and think, huh, I wonder like how they came up with this or, or why, you know, why did they talk to customers about what customers needed? Or did they talk to the salespeople about what the salespeople needed? And I think there was a lot of that, but I, I think it was, there was a lot of alignment that wasn't happening. Um, so when I got to marketing, I felt really passionate about, I, I want to create that alignment. I want mm. to help um, understand the pain points of the salespeople and take the pain points that I had as the salesperson and then funnel those back up to the people at headquarters, um, people that are creating the solutions and products to solve manufacturing challenges and just help them understand um, kind of those challenges of, of getting mm. uh, technology in front of customers. And it's, a, it's an ongoing journey, but um, I think our company has really, we have so many people that are open to mm-hmm. hearing about each other's viewpoints across departments. And I think that's what really makes it work. Absolutely. And then enabling, I mean, you having that frontline customer experience to then be that conduit, you know, it, it's critical, mm-hmm. right? And then being able to understand the local market yeah. to target the right customers, the right needs, the right applications. I mean, that that's not something you can bridge every day. And so I think that is mm-hmm. a very unique experience that ultimately led you to your, your next role, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I got a lot of conflicting opinions during that time of, um, you know, yes, your sales experience will be helpful or no, it might not, or can you really go from sales to marketing or, you know, whatever. And I, like you kind of said, Corinne, I think all these foundations, like you can't really go wrong with the foundations right. you're building, whether you start yeah. in, in engineering or you start in mm. HR or operations. I mean, right. that, that's what I see as well that I think is so great about the world we're in today is you meet people and we come from all different backgrounds, but mm-hmm. you can't go wrong, you know? And I try to tell people that too. I'm like, don't ever think no. you're going to make a wrong decision in your career. Right. Like if you're going to go learn something different, that's going to benefit you somehow. And it's going to come back. It's going to come right. back to you. And that's, I think exactly what happened um, in marketing. And it's just somehow the path just unfolds and you never thought you'd be, um, you know, in these type of roles or departments. And some of the roles I'm like looking at today, I never thought I would go down that path, but it's just, it it does work out. Absolutely. And I think the beauty of it too is like you were saying, it doesn't matter what you've done, but make sure you leverage that experience because Mm, I mean, I think it's a missed opportunity if you, you know, are in operations, HR, true engineering, sales, whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. And you, you're like, all right, on to the next, like now I'm in marketing. Mm -hmm. What do I need to know? Mm -hmm. Versus, okay, here's what I know about the customer. Here's what I know about how they like to be coordinated with or communicated to. Okay. How do, how do I build something different? How do I use that idea and, mm-hmm. and change the game or bring a new idea to the team? So I think that's just something we should latch on to. 
I love that point of leveraging it and not, it's not about like what you can take from the role. It's about what you can give to it. Exactly. Every role that you take is a building block the rest of your career. I feel like that could be a tattoo. It's not what you can take. It's what you can (laughs) get like right on my bicep. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I feel like I've, I've almost observed that though from so many like great leaders and, and mentors too, is the people that I am seeing succeed and, and move up, if you want to say, or whatever, it's, it's the people that they don't really care about the moving mm-hmm. up. They care about building their teams and giving yeah. their experience to their people. And I feel like sometimes the promotions and the moving up is just the, the benefit, of, yeah. the added benefit of, of them just being an amazing leader. And it just bleeds through and all of a sudden they're being approached for you know, new opportunities. And I've like witnessed that firsthand that it's like you said, Corinne, it's not about how do I get to the next thing and then figure out what I can get from it? Mm-hmm. It's really about like, where am I at today? And how do I just give everything I have to where mm-hmm. I'm at today? And it's go- the next step is going to come. Yeah. Speaking of next steps, this, this actually goes right into our next question very nicely. Mm-hmm. So thanks for the setup. So, <laughs> so you have been recently promoted to a regional marketing lead role. So how did you learn to develop a strategic mindset as you embrace this next challenge? Mm hot topic for me because I, I feel like I see that in a lot of early career people is there's never a moment where you're trained how to be strategic. Um, that was something I had to learn from mentors like Gina Ward and Jane Barr and Dave Majewski. I, I had to ask them a lot about like, how do you build a strategy? Honestly, if you guys had to sit down today and build a strategy for something, I think my mind would always go right to like tactical, like, well, how do we right. get it done? And mm-hmm. let's get it done tomorrow. But strategy is way like, you know, you know, about one year, three year, five year vision. And, yeah. you know, what are the goals of what we're actually trying to do before we start focusing on what we're going to do to accomplish the goals? So it's an art for um, sure. Yeah. It is an art. And I think where, I don't know where you can get trained on that. I'm sure if you get an MBA or, or whatnot. But Let me know where you I find out you, if you do. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I think, I think that's an interesting area that when I think about like future leaders, where we need to empower our future leaders, how do we train them on that? Like the strategic mindset Mm -hmm. and not just the day to day, get out of your day to day, get out of like what you think tactically needs done. Think about the bigger organization and, and those, those few years out and what are we really trying to accomplish? Yeah, no, I think that's a good perspective. And I think too, I think that's where your creative nature comes in play, right? Is like that early on thinking of, am I doing this wrong? Maybe I'm not a good engineer. Like I just care about people, but then transforming that into maybe I'm just thinking differently. And so that, that can Mm -hmm. become that overarching strategy of, no, I think this is a unique way to approach this problem. Let's dice it, you know, and and hit some of those tactical pieces to make sure we're, we're accomplishing things. But what a unique perspective that creativity can, can play yeah. in strategy. So being the regional, um, basically marketing lead, you, there's two obvious challenges, right? I mean, you're, you're a young female. Um, actually those are both of them. You're young and you're female. Mm-hmm. Um, so how mm-hmm. did you work to find your voice on, on such a seasoned team and really mm-hmm become a contributor so that you weren't just, you know, faded into the, the background and being almost a wallflower, but actively um, giving input and, and helping drive that yeah. strategy of the regional team. Yeah, so true. It's such a weird transition these last few years because yeah. I felt really confident in the skill set I had built in marketing, 
but what I had to realize was that leadership, like you said, the leadership sitting at the table, realizing my voice matters and, and mm-hmm. I can speak up that has taken me the last few years to, to practice and figure out. And I joined this team of like badass leaders that have been here for most of them, like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I rem- that, that inner imposter voice just always mm-hmm. says to you like, well, what do I really have to contribute? I've only been here like half, you know, less than half the time they have. And they know so much more than me. And, you know, I represent one department, but their departments are probably more important than mine. It's like, those are all the voices mm-hmm. that go through your head and you just, you just don't want to, um, you know, speak out of turn or, or whatever. And I've had, I've had to get a lot of feedback these last few years from people saying, we can tell you have things to say, just say it, speak up. Like, yeah. and even if it doesn't come out right, it's okay. Like you're going to fall on your face a little bit, but at least you're part of the conversation. Right. And, um, and yeah, and I think it took like, um, in, in big intimidating groups like that too. Once I started having one-on-one conversations, um, with those leaders, it helped me, um, better understand, you know, where I could fit into those conversations. And it probably took a year or two to get comfortable with really speaking up in those groups. But, um, yeah, like you said, like, what a, what a weird lesson to learn, um, like how, how to shift from individual being more individual, like project manager kind mm-hmm. of role to, to know you're part of a larger team now and a larger mission and your voice matters and, right. and your voice is needed. That's why you're here. And right. you're helping like drive the direction of the region, right? So, I mean, you'd want to be speaking up so that you are almost right. as much bought in, right? With that idea and that long-term mm-hmm. vision mm-hmm. versus, Hey, I'm just, I'm participating, but I don't, maybe believe yeah. in it or this or that. But if you're, if you're actively speaking up all of a sudden, absolutely. Like, let's go fight for let's, let's make sure that we're, we're driving in the right direction. You've got more skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know you always wanted to be a leader at Rock Automation? How did you maneuver all your career development and networking opportunities to be able to mm-hmm. allow you to be in this position you are today? Mm-hmm. I love that question. I don't think I knew what a leader really was coming out of college. Of course, I wanted to be a leader because in college, we're all like the president of every club (laughs) in college. And you're like, I can just do that, but in the real world and be the CEO. (laughs) And you, I I got to Rockwell and in my mind, I was like, of course, I'm going to manage a team. Of course, I'm going to want to be a leader. And then again, like you get slapped in the face a little bit and realize like, okay, being a leader, it's not just about the power and the hierarchy mm-hmm. and climbing the chain. It's about like inspiring your team and letting them inspire you and helping them through tough situations that aren't mm-hmm. fun. You know, that your, your team is up against things that are political or challenging, or maybe mm-hmm. we're, we have silos yeah. in, in companies, you know, that aren't getting along. And it's about, I think, managing that with grace and um, show, showing your team, you know, how to work, how to work together and, and collaborate. And I, there's all these things I've learned about like, what it truly means to be a leader. Like what I thought I, what I thought it was versus what it really is. To answer your question, it's changed. But yeah, now knowing what I know from the amazing leaders I've worked under, of course, like I want to be a leader, but not because of the persona, but more because you just want to make an impact. Um, mm-hmm. I think you guys, this too like like you see the potential in 
whether it's your company or your team or, or individual person on your team, you see the potential and you're like, I just want to be a part of that potential. And it's not as much anymore about like, I want the title or whatever. Right. It's just, I want to make a difference. Right. And I think so many people that maybe the doers, quote unquote, mm-hmm. look up at leaders mm-hmm. and be like, oh, they're, they just like to be in the position of power. Mm-hmm. And what I think is, yeah. as you had said, that really enriches you as a leader is being able to see the successes and even the learning opportunities of your employees um, and seeing them grow and develop. And I think that's what we need to stop looking at leaders and being like, oh, they're just there on this pedestal. When in reality, Mm -hmm. they're the leaders that are looking at us and looking right back down at us and looking like, oh, what can my team is awesome. This is how I'm helping them Mm -hmm. get to the next step. So Mm -hmm. one, two, Katrina, I think you do a phenomenal job of being that everyday leader and doing what needs to be done. You know, it's, it's an act of humility, honestly, to just be like, Hey, you know what, this needs to be done. I'll raise my hand. I'll Mm -hmm. do it. I'll volunteer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might not be like your most favorite thing in the whole wide world to do, but you're going to get it done because you're going to say yes. And you're going to work towards the greater team. And I think that's how you've gotten such a strong voice in your team and become such a contributor is because you're present and you're going to lead in every way possible, not just for the big projects, not just when we're presenting to Tessa, yeah. you know, you're mm-hmm. going to lead when you're yeah. presenting to right. an account manager or an intern, those types of things mm-hmm. are just as yeah. powerful. Oh, thanks. I see that in you guys too. And I, I think what I've realized is the, the magic of the people that are like excited to come to work every day. It, it's being aligned with the mission of what we're trying to do. And in my mind, there's a few missions I work for. One of them is I want to make the life of, you know, my immediate teams, the salespeople, the marketing people, I want to make their lives easier. And then some bigger missions, you know, I want to, I want to help the silos of the company work better together. And then kind of my newest, like really exciting mission is when I look at manufacturing and I look at the future of manufacturing, especially during a time like COVID when manufacturing is going to freaking Mm. save lives. Now I feel compelled, like we have to have, help manufacturing move forward. And I never thought I would care about that stuff, you know, but I think that's your, t- your time and these companies and roles makes you realize, man, I care more than I thought. And, and I really feel like, um, like you said, Corinne, like it, it, it stops mattering the things you're working on because you feel like those little things you're doing are still contributing to the mm-hmm. mission. So who cares if I'm doing something that's like, whatever they say, you below your pay grade or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it, it's going to, you help that one person and they're going to help tons of people. So absolutely. I, I see that in you guys too. And the mission of things like our Wi-Fi and this podcast, you know, it just keeps you going. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one thing too, I think you've exemplified to the, to the youth in this company, Katrina is finding that, that balance in a role. So make sure you're saying yes to things, but also make sure that you're, yeah. you're, saying yes to your happiness, right? So what you learned in in San Francisco, but bringing that through all of your roles. So making sure that you have friendships in the workplace, because that will make you stay, right? That'll make you work harder when you're Mm -hmm. working for your friends. And what a unique place to do that. Um, Because I think traditionally we were taught, you know, make sure you separate work and and friendship and life. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Like the times that's the old, like, I want to know about Mm -hmm. Olivia's dog. Like, I want to know all about Finn. You know what I mean? Tell me about that because Mm -hmm. that makes coming to work so much better. And then it makes saying yes to those maybe mundane tasks just a little bit better. Because if I'm doing it for Olivia, Mm. 
I'm doing it for Katrina. Absolutely. I'm going to do it because I care yeah. about them as people. Exactly. exactly. So true. I, I love that people perspective too, because I think we talk a lot about, you know, bringing your best self to work. And um, I've seen that motto come to life in the last probably like five years or so. And maybe some of it is societal and then some of it is the company culture. Um, but people mean it. Like if you want to come to work and you have hot pink nail polish on, like I used to literally, I don't have nail polish on right now, but I used to remove my hot pink nail polish before I went to the office because I thought it made me more feminine and look weaker Mm -hmm. and I didn't fit in. And I look back on like those early years and and yeah, I feel sad. And then I look at the the new hires now, they have purple hair or they're proud to just be, be who they are. And they bring these amazingly diverse perspectives and um, I feel really proud to work for a company like this and, and work in a, in a world where it truly means like be yourself at work. Yes. Gosh darn it. Like it, if you're not being yourself at work, you're never going to be happy and people will accept you for it. And if, if I don't get promoted because I'm wearing hot pink nail polish, like that it clearly wasn't meant to. Right. <laughs> right. It's more than hot pink nail work polish. Out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember too. I mean, I, same thing. Like I cut my hair right when I joined Rockwell. Cause I was like, you know, <laughs> professionals don't have long hair, you know, which is complete, yes, a yes. complete lie. Yes. So that was, you know, error number one. Error number two is, you know, yeah. a lot of us wear our buns on top of our head, just kind of like messy. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's like the millennial thing to yeah. do. I remember I was like, how do I do my hair professionally? Because mm-hmm. number one, I don't do my hair well. And I remember Rachel Conrad just who's a VP for our company, she, she wore her hair in like this messy low bun. And I just remember being like, Rachel, I just like, thank you for just wearing your hair messy. And she was like, well, why do you think Mm. that you can't? And I was like, well, I just feel like it's a stigma around the youth that we should look a little bit more put together. And Mm -hmm. she goes, Mm -hmm. if anyone gives you crap about how messy your hair is, you tell them to call me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. all right. Like, so that, that enabling your people, like you were saying, Katrina, be yourself, bring your best self to work. And if someone has a problem mm-hmm. with that, call me. Like, cause we yep. want that. We yep. want individuality. We want yes. authentic. We people. need it. We need it. It's how we're going to be mm-hmm. a better company. It's how we're going to enable a better world. Well, exactly. Yeah. And if you're bringing your best self and your authentic self to work, then that's one less barrier that yes. is going to prevent you from being able to perform it. So yeah. Final question, Katrina, on this note that we've been talking about being your best self and mm. embracing authenticity, do you have any lasting mm. advice for women in particular looking to become authentically themselves in two-part question, how do we best support each other as we all go on our own journey mm. to embrace who we are personally? Yeah. I, I guess what I've learned about being authentically myself, it really means accepting all the parts of yourself. Mm. And that's, that's that person that comes to work, maybe looking different or whatever is feeling different or knowing you are different and finding a way to make that work in your roles. Um, and I knew I was, I knew I was more catered toward creativity and I knew I had to get the marketing if I was going to be happy in this company. Um, I think too, just, like, yeah, accepting all those failures and embarrassing moments. I have cried too many times at work. Like, like luckily in the last few years, it hasn't been that much. But in those first few years of work, I was, mm-hmm. you know, a mess. And 
I was so embarrassed about that. But the more I've talked to people in this company, like it's, we all go through the same experiences. We just go through them in different ways. And all my peers, we were all trying to put on this brave face of like, we know what we're doing and we're killing it out in our jobs. And then when I really got to know my peers deeper, we all realized we were having the same struggles, whether it was professionally or in your personal lives or family matters or your mental health. And Mm -hmm. it just has hit me that we all go through the same stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know it's hard to cross those lines at work where you share things, um, you know, personally about yourself, but I found that everyone I've ever shared personal things about or been vulnerable with, it's always worked out. So I guess in that theme of, just being yourself, like don't don't be embarrassed about those vulnerable parts of you because it's most likely that everyone around you is going through the same stuff. Absolutely. And being on that regional team and like enabling, you know, all of the people in the East region to feel that way. I mean, between yourself, Jane, uh, Dave Maieski, like that whole crew, for them to show up and be be vulnerable, it mm-hmm. just enables the rest of the the team to do the same. And so how powerful yeah. that we, we actually do have a lot of power and influence over our peers if we show up and that's the most free mm. thing of all. So mm-hmm. why not? Mm. Right. And show them that yeah. it's okay that yeah. you're showing up like this yeah. and that no one's going to like yeah. think you, of you differently also. Mm. There's a lot more grace right. when we give ourselves grace and, and share some of those things. You don't need to share everything. Hey, still TMI <laughs> still exists, but, right. but right. let's make right. sure right. that right. we're, we're showing up and we're being, um, giving a lot of grace to ourselves and, and our peers because we all need it. Yes. Especially at a time like now where our world is ever changing also. Especially so now. Mm-hmm. Make one less thing an issue at our place of work, I guess. Yes, but yeah. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for joining us. I think this was a great topic. Getting to know your, I guess, your background a little bit more as well as understanding just your overall career path, how you got to where you are and, and how you show up to work definitely will make us all and hopefully our listen, listeners appreciate the ability to bring authentic self to work. So. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Yeah, I love this. I feel, I feel lighter already. <laughs>